0: Good evening, podcast listeners, and welcome to episode five of the Meg Players podcast. Tonight's episode is Attila the Hun, the early years, and we will have uh, the usual analysis and history, references and figure manufacturers. And we will also have analysis of four lists, the Hun list, obviously, and then some of their em- enemies, the uh, Gepids, the Eastern Federati Romans, and the early Austrians. So a lot of content within uh, Attila the Hun, the early years. And that is followed by an, an interview with Simon Hall, the founder and creator of uh, Mortimer Glorium. So that's great to have him on. And I hope I ask him some questions that you would ask him if you were having a chat with him. So as I always say, without further ado, Let's crack on to Attila the Hun, the early years. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Richard. Good evening. Good evening. So, another podcast. And I just thought tonight, um, because, you know, things are now opening up a bit and we're getting some games, I thought before we dive into the meat and drink of the, of the uh, history and uh, lists, I just thought we could just tell our listener in Canada um, what, to, oh, on that note... We are the 47th most downloaded games podcast in Canada. (laughs) No Canucks, we love you, Canada. (laughs) So, I think it's going to be all downhill from now. So, I think we should just quit while we're ahead. Yeah, that's it. That's
1: what that's made made my broadcasting career. It's (laughs) on the CV. (laughs) Yes,
0: it's going on my LinkedIn profile tomorrow morning. So, um, okay. So, but what I thought we would do, because you know. Our listeners, that don't know us particularly, they don't know what we do in our gaming life as well as doing this. So I thought we could just have a little update since the last time we chatted with them, um, what we've been doing to try and drag the Meg gaming scene back into life with the game. So uh, so Richard,
2: we've had some games, haven't we? We have. uh, We've had three cracking games, all decided on the final dice roll and ah, I think it's 2-1 for you. Ah. Yeah, I, I got lucky with the dice.
1: <laughs> Hang on, the the, the way Meg games finish, aren't all completed games finished on the yes. list. <laughs> no, I mean, it,
0: it was literally, if he didn't roll the right dice, I would have, been, you know, it was that close.
2: You know, so and uh, tomorrow I am going to try my luck against... Uh, Dr Simon Elliott, Ooh. president of the Society of Ventures. Are you going to his new house? I am indeed, so I'm so, looking forward
0: you know, you know Simon and his, you know, history of life. All I can say is, have you been there before? Because this isn't funny if you've been there before. I've I mean, you been the house to house before. Okay, so when you get there, it's the house Simon would live in. It's just it. That's, if you imagine the house that, you know, Dr Simon Elliott, the archaeological, and his archaeological dog... Would live in it's that house. I'll tell you, it's 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 like coming out of Harry Potter, it's brilliant.
2: Well, I'll, look, I'll look forward to seeing it
0: and, and ask him to take him upstairs and show him your show, him, let him show you his bits. <laughs> I'm worried where this sorry, is going. Sorry, I have paused at the wrong time. Then <laughs> get him upstairs, show me show, him your, show him the bits of pottery he's got upstairs.
2: I've seen some of his spines already, yeah, previously. so... The I me.
0: He has. Um, I'm quite excited, so I'm, I'm butting in a bit. He has a hand axe that has been verified by the museum. This isn't just, oh, I found this hand axe in my garden. You know, this has been verified, and it's like I don't know, 8,000 BC, Medway Valley, probably not even Homo sapien. You know, using it, and you put your hand on it, and you feel where that it's just perfect where it's rubbed and smooth where the hand would have held it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, that, that's priceless. Absolutely priceless. So you're going down to, to to be to be aggressively aggressively attacked by Dr. Simon Elliott.
2: I love him. He's got one he's got one type of war going.
0: Charge
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah it should be it should be a fun game. I'm looking forward to great he's a great blo-
0: and then uh, and then uh, Nick,
2: what
1: have we been doing? What have you been doing? Well, we, we uh, since that last podcast, cast of course, we had a game where you um, you ran out that much vaunted Crusader oh, army. Uh, let's not talk about that. Let's not. Talk. <laughs> you mean, you mean, big,
0: you mean the later Crusader list that I said was uh, unbeatable.
1: You hinted that you thought it could be, and... And, and, uh, and, and what was the result against the <laughs> Leicester
0: Crusader? Well, I, I,
1: you, we, we, we didn't quite play to conclusion uh, um, for various reasons, but I think the Ilkhanids I had were going to win. Did I start slow playing so
0: I didn't lose?
1: No, 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 you, 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 no. you genuinely came down with a headache. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, since, since that, obviously I had, um, had some games down um, Sid's place last weekend.
0: Which was straight yes, so down at down. we were invited to go down to Sid Lawrence Donoghue, who's been on the podcast with Pike, and he had a little medieval bash. And uh, and what filth did you take to his medieval bash?
1: I took the Catalan Company in Anatolia. Yeah. The lovely, lovely superior but unprotected Al Mugavar, yeah. who um certainly in two games had a great deal of fun charging into longbowmen, which is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good for the longbowmen. No. no, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, but yeah, no, that that was great fun. This this weekend coming, I'm um, off to Battlefield Hobbies to have a game against Lee Sanders. Lovely Lee, lovely so, Lee from know, Birmingham. It's, you know, it's, uh, Hammy's Hammy's uh, gaming place is uh, once again open for business under the new regulations. And then after that, I suppose we're looking. It will all be at your. Post-COVID Cup. Sorry, are you there, Richard? Or are yes. I am indeed as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't remember the people. And after that, of course, back to Hammy's place for Armageddon. Yeah.
0: So post-COVID cup, first weekend of June, 10 players. Um, and then in July. Outdoors, we should say. Outdoors, outdoors, yes, ten players. And then July, uh, Armageddon, and that's just full on. I think there'll be I think there'll be 34, 36 players then. I really do. I think 28 tickets have gone already. There'll be a few people just waiting. Make sure restriction.
1: Yep, I think you're right. So that'll be yeah, that's going to be great, <laughs> basically.
0: So, so I, I, I've got I've got a prize for the um, for the post COVID cup. So you know, Nick, I should always run all my orders of soldiers through you to make sure I order the right thing,
1: and then get it wrong.
0: Yeah, and then get it wrong. I've managed to end up with a 28-millimeter Imperial Roman Starter Army. Okay. <laughs> and it's a lovely supplier, and I, I'm going to say, can I have store credit and send it back? And uh, if not, that's a prize for the post-COVID cut. <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe it when the thing, turned Oh, on, have on, 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 on. So, yes, so Wargaming, what have we been doing? So we went down. It was a bit embarrassing, actually, because Nick and I got invited down to SIDS, and then I think... I think we, we basically beat them up. Yeah, apart from Sid. Yeah, close games against Sid. Yeah,
1: Although you you, uh, you, you you nearly beat him, didn't you?
0: Yes, so my my bizarre army got 43, 42 points out of a possible 45. So not me, the army, I can tell you that. But with it being medieval, it was like a medieval melee. You know, when they in a part of a joust, they have a melee. You know, that's what my army was it was just a load of blokes in full armor go wandering around with big swords beating people up it was fantastic especially when there was lots of bowmen, because the, the power bow were just going bing 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 off my armor it was great okay so uh enough of that so but, but i think the message we're trying to get across is uh you know the three of us wander around the country going to tournaments, and you know in our our social life part of that is once a month we go to things are starting to come back, so it's great. And, uh, you know, all the details of the tournaments are on the uh, Facebook page, the players' page. And I think, Nick, uh, should we put in the show notes, just, just copy and paste the tournaments coming up? For well, the- we
1: can do, but they're, they're also on the MEG forum. There's a tournament yeah. section there, so... They're everywhere. Maybe we'll just put, put, a, put a link to that.
0: Yeah, good. And uh, great. So um, that was a bit of a warm-up. Um, and but tonight um, we are going to be focusing on basically Attila the early years. And um, the interesting thing about this is that I, I'm holding um, a, a, a book in the series Battles of the Great Commanders called Age of Attila. And the other interesting thing is that oh look, the author is Richard Jeffrey Cook. Our very own Richard Jeffrey Cook is the author of this. So tonight. We must be in safe hands, because Richard is going to lead the way, Nick is going to do some of the work, and podcast listeners, you'll be glad to hear, I have done nothing. I've been a little bit busy this week, and I've done nothing for the
2: podcast, so I'm just
0: going to shut up. Um, And these guys are going to take you through the age of Attila, and I'll speak to you when we finish. So, lads, here we go.
2: Thank you very much, Ray. Um, I'm now thoroughly blushing red with that praise for the book. Uh, So we're talking about attila the hun uh who was born roughly 390 AD um we don't know exactly when he was born um possibly a little bit later um the the first sort of notable event i suppose comes around 405 to 410 AD when the huns who by this stage already um conquered um some of the goths um, actually migrate to the hungarian Plain. now this event isn't actually documented in the written history um, but it's significant because uh, from this point on the huns become a thorn in the side of the eastern roman empire and uh, it also triggers the migrations of the Vandals and the Alans and the Suevi who break through the Rhine barrier into Gaul and subsequently migrate down to Spain and then across to Africa and in the process do um, lasting damage to the Western Roman Empire and particularly its finances. Um, the, The Huns however established themselves uh, in roughly modern Hungary. And uh, um, the, the sort of first major event is in 422, when a Hunnic army uh, actually raids Thrace. And the Romans, um, they they basically buy off the Huns with a treaty which promises the Huns £350 of gold per year. I don't know about you, but that sounds like quite a lot of. Um, but um, apparently, the sort of wealthier aristocratic families in the Roman Empire at this time would have an income of about a thousand pounds of gold. So it's it's actually not a huge payment. I think it just shows how wealthy the wealthy were in the ancient empire. Um, so um, then, uh, around four two five to four two seven. AD, the sources mention that the Huns are actually evicted from the Roman province of Pannonia. Um, so that's that sort of Mon Serbia, uh, northern Serbia, that that side of the Danube. So obviously, at some point, the Huns must have crossed the Danube and established. Them if they're going to get evicted, but uh, the next uh, notable event occurs three years later when a king called Octar. Is actually killed while leading an, an attack by the Huns on the Burgundian. Uh, the Burgundians at this point live sort of um just uh east of the Rhine near Strasbourg, that sort of. Um and the Huns, probably enticed by Aetius, Flavius Aetius, the Western Roman general, uh, actually attacks the Burgundians. But it goes wrong. Okta gets killed. Um and the Burgundians survive fine. Uh, Four years later, another king called Rua, uh, he leads a Hunnic army into Thrace. Um, During the the campaign, at some point, he dies. Uh, We're not quite sure when, and it doesn't seem to have been in battle, Uh, but the Romans basically again decide to buy off the Huns, and this time the uh, payment doubles, so it's now 700 um, at the death of Rua, it appears that Attila and his brother Blader uh, become kings of the Hunnic Empire. We're not exactly sure how this kingship worked. Um, there seems some suggestion that the Huns were used to a dual system of kingship, um, but um, we don't really know. But Blader, Blader, he he is the sort of leading king at this time and Attila Attila seems to be very much a junior partner Uh, but it seems that Attila had more contacts with the Romans so he seems to be involved more in the diplomacy that goes on. Uh, In 440 AD the Huns attack the Burgundians again and this time uh, the Hunnic attack is pretty devastating. The Burgundians are very severely weakened and actually have to sort of seek roman protection and this is the period where they sort of move towards the savoy area of uh, what modern france uh in 441 we know that attila leads an attack on Pannonia, um, and in 442 there are further hunnic attacks on a place called archer and another place called nice um so these these are sort of border areas on the danube and rome actually agrees to a treaty this time agreeing to pay 2100 so the the sums are going higher and higher uh, in either 444 or 445 uh bleeder dies and attila becomes the sole emperor of the hun uh in 447 there's a big earthquake that damages the walls of constantinople and attila hears about this and decides this would be a good time to attack. So there becomes a race between the Huns uh, attempting to invade the Eastern Roman Empire and the Romans who are desperately trying to rebuild walls of Constantinople. Anyway, the, the Romans succeed in rebuilding the walls before the Huns arrive. And so Attila decides to withdraw. And now at some point during the withdrawal, um, it appears the Roman general, decides this is a good time to attack them. Whether this was at the orders of the emperor or not, we don't really know. There's some suspicion that it might be, uh, it might've been an unorthak. Anyway, it's a fairly um, uh, a brutal battle, uh, but the Huns get a mauling, um, but they do successfully uh, manage to retreat ac- across the Danube. And in fact, in 448 and 449, they basically negotiate a treaty with the Romans, which seems to be very much on a honey term. So um, Attila can sort of uh, basically say, right, we don't want any Roman uh, uh, farming within five days of the Danube. Um, that Those sort of terms. And there's also a very bizarre and... Farming or farming farming? Farming farming. So basically depopulate these areas across the border. Yeah. Um there's also a a rather bizarre and failed plot to assassinate Attila, and this actually enables Attila to really embarrass um the Eastern Roman Emperor. Um so the home the, the, the Huns by this stage are really top dogs. Um things change at this point because Attila suddenly sees the opportunity to uh, exploit weaknesses in the Western Roman Empire uh, and then you that leads on to the campaign and the Battle of the Catalonian Fields but that's really outside of the scope of the podcast. Nice. So that that's your history summary and you can read more details about this in the book.
1: <laughs> can I
2: just pick up on the
1: very briefly on one point you mentioned which is about the, the dual kingship. It's uh... It, it does appear to have been a, a bit of a feature of steppe um societies of the steppe empires um it carried on um through through the turks later seems to have so it's, i think it's one of the reasons that people um try and relate the, the huns to the uh, xiongnu who were north, north of the uh, chinese um from about 200 bce onwards but say so it, it does appear to be a thing and what what I recall for bits i read about the Huns is that when, when Attila and his brother Blader became kings, it would be likely that Blader would be sort of the king of the east and Attila the king of the west. And the eastern king would in theory be the senior. So so Attila would have started off as the junior king.
2: Yeah, I mean, dual kingship is, occurs in other uh, times in history as well, most famously, I guess, with the Spartans. You had a system of dual kingship, but uh um they don't the, the con- connection between the Huns and the Shuing Nu um is um circumstantial but quite strong. Uh, the, there are even a few words, Hunnic words, that seem to have their etymological origins, their etymology uh, originates uh, with the with the Shuing Nu. So um uh, it, it's we're, we're talking about 500 years difference um, between the Xiongnu in the uh, borders of China and the Huns on the borders of the Roman Empire. But uh, it seems at least um, some core of the Hun tribe um, perhaps originated with uh, the Xiongnu further in the east. But the Huns really were a bunch of basically anybody who would fight for. Um, I think it's it's very doubtful that they were a single um, tribe or race. They were basically a bunch of uh, whoever was, they came across, who was willing and capable of fighting for. And in fact, you even get a few Romans who actually join the Huns and say, this is great, because under the Roman Empire, citizens weren't uh, allowed to bear arms. But uh, within the Hunnic Empire, if." Basically, your position in society was based on your martial prowess. I suspect the tax rate was lower as well. Uh, Quite quite probably. Um, I mean, even even slaves in the Hunnic Empire could rise to quite important positions. I mean, that was true in the Roman Empire as well, of course. Imperial slaves were often the uh, um, controllers of the uh, Roman Empire. Um, So the Huns were quite an interesting... um, Uh, grouping. And of course, during the period we're discussing, they also incorporate many of the Germanic tribes. Um, So both the Gepids and the Ostrogoths, um, some of the Ostrogoths. You have to be careful, Ostrogoth is an anachronistic term at this point, but some of the Gothic tribes were quite um, loyal to Attila and the Hunnic Empire. Um, Quite a contrast to the Roman Empire, where you've really got three different groupings controlling the the empire. First off, you've got the emperors and the civil service bureaucracy. Then you've got the army. uh, And the third off is you've got the church as well, who are starting to play um, a a greater influence, particularly in sort of local decisions uh, as the Western Roman Empire collapses. It was often the church, which was the um, core around maintaining civilization. Um, The Eastern Roman Empire has a big problem because it's trying to fight really wars on two fronts. Either the front with Persia, the Sassanid Persian Empire, or the front on the Danube with the Germanic tribes and the Huns. Um, And it never really has the capability of fighting both fronts at the same time which constantly gives the Eastern Roman uh, Empire a problem. Whereas the West, as we've mentioned, was essential in decline because of civil wars. Um, they lose um, control of, or abandon control of Britain in the sort of early 400s. You've got the Franks who take over much of northern Gaul, Gaul um, to pre- basically at the Roman request to protect the border. You've got the Visigoths in Aquitania. Um, you've got peasant revolts known as Die" uh, in both Gaul and Spain. And then you get the Vandals, Alans and Suevi in Spain, and then the Vandals crossing over to Africa. So it's not a great time for the Western. And I think I
1: just, um, just occasionally the Eastern Empire tries to bolster up the Western Empire, which stretches its already <laughs> sparse resources <laughs> Or overstretch yeah. resources even further.
2: Yeah, the the relationship between the east and the west is always one of um, sort of half friendly and half nervous. Really, in terms of both have to rely on each other for their defences, because the, uh, if you're in if you don't defend the east, it provides a route into Italy, um, and if you don't defend the west. It, it's drawing the need to have troops come over from the east to support them, and that—that's the political of the whole period.
1: They are, eh.
2: Well, are you—are
1: you, are you now
2: educated?
0: I—I uh I love the background. I love the. Hip, but let's get because that's what I really love. <laughs> what have you guys come? Who's doing what? So I think Nick, you—you are you going to be the Romans?
1: Um, I've—I've I've got a in Eastern
2: Roman. Army to uh, to present. Um, I have uh, a Hunnic army and uh, an Ostrogoth army, and I think you've got a Gepid army to no, pre-
0: I'm, 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 I'm bowing out of that as
2: well. Oh, I'll I'll present the Gepid army because <laughs> I actually created it in the first place. Thank
1: you. <laughs> I think this is this is very much Richard's podcast, isn't it? It really is. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've, I've, <laughs> however, in, in the interest of giving Richard a break, shall I? kick off with the yes. Romans? Yes. Please do. Okay. So um, we are looking at the sort of earlier end of Attila's career. So the idea was to pick an army in, in, in say, about the late three thirty. So I've gone for a, a federate Roman army, which is taken from the... 430s, do you say? Sorry? Did you say the 430s? I should have said the 430s if I didn't say the 430s. <laughs> Um, I meant to say the 430s.
2: That sounds good, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, so from the Federate Roman list in the Italy book. Um, now, the, the list itself covers East and West, um, and there's there's differences between the two. I've gone for an Eastern one, because this is where the, as Richard just explained, this is where the fighting was. Um, the, the Federate Roman covers the East up to 440 CE, um, and after that, it's covered by um, the late roman list in the Byzantium book but I, I i've chosen a list from the federate roman list so just to give you an idea of what's in this list um you know this is this is this is a you know a, a declining roman a roman in, in, in a not great period um the fifth century is really quite murky at the best of times for for um detail so inevitably this, this list you could say is a bit of a, a bit of guesswork um but we it, it contains some 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 recognisable things. It's got um, some equites, the Roman cavalry, um, remain you know a drilled, drilled loose, unskilled javelin, short spear. They can have melee expert in you know, a shard. They have this, and they can be dismountable. Some of them can be upgraded to superior. Um, there's an op- option to replace these equites with buccalari, um, which would be a, a senior Roman general. Um, in the east, um, in the west, it could be um, a more like a, a warlord. Um, these would often include um, Huns, um, at this time probably deserters from the Hunnic Empire. And One of the things Attila kept asking for in his treaties with the Romans was that deserters were returned, um, probably to meet a really unpleasant end. Um, but whilst they're in the Roman Empire, they would be recruited with alacrity. So these Bucalaroi can actually be experienced bow, short spear, um, drilled loose and superior. So they're uh, sort of elite elite Huns. Um, the you can, do get some federate troops, um, federate cavalry um, who are basically similar to the equities but not as well drilled. The big difference between the east and the west in these the federate Roman list is, is really in the infantry. Um, the the West basically gets fewer and they're not quite as good, or sorry, they can't have as many upgraded to the superior Palatina regiments, uh, whereas the East can have a few more. Um, at this stage, we, the, the infantry are great, graded as drilled flexible, average protected, experienced darts, short spear and shield cover. Uh, they're no longer aggressive enough to qualify for the impact weapon that the Imperial Roman list has, the one that precedes this list, um, the infantry are becoming more passive, more more reliant on missile power to try and break up the opponents. And so this is a bit of a transitional list because later on, um, the, the cavalry change over to be armoured horse archers, possibly an imitation of the Huns or due to recruiting of Huns. And that's the army we go on to see Belisarius in the early Byzantine. Um, and one thing the Eastern Army can have, they can have... Uh, still have some equites clibanarii, the cataphracts, the armored horse, fully armored, long spear, devastating charges shoved. Um, There's assorted missile men, kind of few bowmen, a few skirmishers, but the but that, that's that's the core of the arm. So as like I said, I've I've, I've gone to the list I'm presenting um, for for your delight and delectation and no doubt criticism is a an Eastern version. Um, I've designed this. Pretty much in the idea of fighting the Huns. So that yeah, that's the basis I've drawn up this list. How would I create a federate Roman in the East um to fight against a Hunnic? I know doubt it's interesting to see how Richard has developed his Hunnic army. Maybe see how these armies would face off against. So I've started off by going for um a very obvious command structure of four competent professional generals. Um at this stage, so I should mention the, <laughs> the the army doesn't Also doesn't need to have the fortified camp that the uh, earlier Roman armies, so I've not gone for. So my army is quite cavalry heavy. um, Based on how I want to be able to chase the Huns down. I've got a unit of equites who are drilled loose cavalry, average protected, unskilled javelin, short spear, melee expert and shoot and charge. Um, shoot and charge there is obviously, you know, if you can get close to declare a charge on the Hunnic cavalry who may be skirmishing, even though they're only unskilled javelin, there's a chance of being able to slow down the Huns as they run away, increase your chance of catching them or at least force them to spend a card to prompt through fire. Um, I've got two units of the Federate cavalry, which I said are basically the same as the equities, but they're formed drill. Um, only one of those two units has got the melee expert shoot and charge. The other one, I couldn't find the points to have either of them. So that unit will probably be acting more in a maybe more in a skirmish holding role. So they're, they're all six bases strong, so reasonably tough. Um, I've gone for a unit Hun mercenaries. Um, it's more of the, the Huns that are deserting or, or fleeing from Attila. So they're cavalry, form flexible. Average, unprotected, experienced bow and melee expert. So, you know, they're basically the same as your basic Hun cavalry. That gives you a bit of shooting and skirmishing again. Um, Then I've gone for, and again, there are six, gone for six base units of the Equities Clibinari, Cavalry, drilled close. Average, armoured horse, fully armoured. Long spear, devastating charges, shove. Um, I've very specifically gone for those because because they're fully armoured. Sorry, and armoured horse. They're... You know they're basically very resistant against shooting and against huns that seems like a good idea and also they're pretty pretty good in combat infantry is made up of two units of the palatina infantry this is the most you can have in this army both of them are eights drill flexible superior protected experienced darts short spear shield and then a just an ordinary into the legionary types who are the same but average. Obviously, that get for against Huns, the shield cover hopefully will be really really useful. And the fact of having two Palatina units is superior. Um, the idea, one of the ideas there is that the Huns quite probably will have a reasonable amount of skilled shooters, and being superior, that slightly degrades the effect of the skilled shooters. So hopefully you won't be being shot at so effectively. And certainly combine that with the shield cover, and they are pretty pretty resistant. Got a unit of six. Um, Auxilius bowmen, drilled loose, average, protected, experienced bow. Unfortunately, I had to make them combat shy to fit in, but I did think, again, thinking about fighting Huns, having a unit of infantry bowmen who can outrange them and work with the other infantry and maybe the cavalry is, is going to be good for putting pressure on the Huns. And rounded off by a six-base unit of skirmishing archer who are poor, unprotected, experienced bow, combat shy. Again, the poor is it, it's not great. But they are only skirmishes and it's just for adding, hopefully adding a few extra bits of shooting for for getting at the Huns. So, yeah, as you can, as I said, designed to fight the Huns, I think that probably came through in my description. Fighting other armies of the period, the Germanics, might not be so good because it's not it's not being focused on defeating them. But you'd hope that with the quite mobile cavalry, and some reason reasonable infantry that be able to put pressure. And one thing this will be able to do that the Germanic type armies can't do is it's got some shooting. So hopefully be able to degrade them. So there we are. That's that's my offering to to defend the Eastern Roman Empire against the rampaging Huns and to protect a senator from having to pay up his 350 pounds of gold if he if he's the one chosen to buy off the Huns this year.
0: The, the emperor just. Uh trump up a charge against the head of one one particular family and just have them uh, thrown in jail and all their property. I think that's how they paid the debts.
1: <laughs> I think it was known to be doing that every now and then.
0: So, um, command and control, you've got 12 cards, all of them professional. So, your army commander can gift one card to anyone in command range. Uh, and you've got nine. I mean, I I rarely say this, but are you a little bit... Uh, is it you, you, you said a couple of times about point are you a little bit over general which you know I I almost oh, but in this particular occasion are you a little bit over general i, I don't think i don't think oh, so on. because
1: no. I don't think so because you've got um a few cavalry units there who may well be skirmishing and you'll you'll want to do the the, the if they have to run away especially you want to do the turn around yeah. which which, is, which can be a yellow um so al- also i think of this one i would almost certainly float the cnc in right. this setup to be able to move the cars where i need um and also again thinking the huns you might be wanting to push through fire yourself you know because they will be putting out a lot more shooting than you will
0: all good all good
1: so you know i, I think you'd probably want 12 though yeah. i think it's a valid question i think people quite often just go for especially the four competence get 12 without necessarily properly thinking well actually 11's enough
0: yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, exactly. Because that could have probably given you the dosh to buy the rest of the stuff you. Want. So, so command and control. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, you are the horse skirmishing, especially. Um, and then, how would your commands break down? So you've got a floating AC, and then three generals with a each with a command. How do you see your commands breaking down in your kind of standard plan?
1: Um, I don't think I'd, I'd probably have the infantry together or mostly together. Um, and after that, it'd be a bit situational. Um, again, against Huns, you know, I'd be hoping to be able to narrow the battlefield, um, you know, have a secure flank to cut down their manoeuvrability um, and, and then try and squeeze them, basically. Um, you know, push the, push the shield cover infantry into their faces. If you can get those close up to a unit of Hun cavalry who may be unprotected, um, your, your darts can be very useful. You know, they, even at the, the the longer range of three, where they go down a colour, they're still they're still possibly whittling away. If you can get close to within one base width or even the skirmishing unit, you you go up a colour. So, and or, or you and that could be used to offset shield cover. The shield cover base can't fo- shoot, so you might not be having all your shooting ranks. But if you're going up a colour because you've got close to the opponent, then you know, obviously the Huns will be trying to avoid that.
0: Didn't, didn't you do once do something nasty to somebody with with
1: dart-armed rope? I've, I've used this army, an extremely similar one, against um, Paul Cummings, who had a Hunnic army, and he, he rather foolishly pushed a... I think his first move was to push some Hun cavalry in skirmish formation quite a long way forward. So I just double-moved double some infantry to within one base width of them, <laughs> and then, then the next move through darts, which... Yeah. Left left his unit looking a bit ragged.
0: You, you, or, did you, were you 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 were on yellows because of no greens?
1: There'd be greens, you know it would only be greens, but um four
0: greens. Yeah,
1: it's it was it it, it was it, it was a bit of an oh moment, yeah. And also, also if you so if you push those three units of infantry forward with the cataphracts, the clibinari quite close, you've got a, a fair chunk which is it's not shooting proof, but it's it's going to be harder for the Huns to shoot at. So they become sort of strong point around which the cavalry can operate. And if you can say so if you can squeeze the Huns against terrain, uh, eventually you'll hope to come to contact, and you're just that bit better in combat against. Unless Richard is going to show me with his Hun army that <laughs> my, my well,
2: anticipation. I'll, I'll wait now to see the Hun army because uh, oh. because uh, well, yeah, Richard
0: heard, can get have his retaliation Byzantine Eastern Roman Empire plan. Well, what 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 did the Hun? What
1: were the Huns going to do? So, so I go through the Hunnic list. Well, yeah. no, do, do do you
2: do you, not,
1: do you want to criticise my army first, or do it in the context no, of you on Hunnic.
2: On, on the Hunnic list? And then I'll tell you the Hunny army, and then I'll. <laughs> um, so the Huns uh, in the Balkans and Steppes uh, classical list. Um, so we start off with we can have nobles and followers who are um, form loose, superior, protected, experienced bow, short spear, melee expert with optional shoot and charge. So these are quite meaty cavalry, 0 to eighteen of those. Um, supported by the bulk of the army is horse archers. Uh, the um, they are form flexible, average, unprotected. Experience bow, uh, melee expert with optional sh- and charge. However, between 428 and 454, this was the period when the Huns were ra- raiding the Roman Empire, you have the option to regrade them to form flexible, average, protected, experienced bow, no melee expert, but they get shoot and charge. So these are the ones that have become a bit more civilised. So you can have the wild the wild ones that are unprotected with melee experts or the more civilised ones that are protected but no melee expert. Um, so, sorry to butt
1: in, um, but I, I've just recalled somebody asked me fairly recently. I couldn't. That, so the 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 lack of melee expert on the protected ones is quite deliberate. It's not an omission. I think somebody was fishing for <laughs> having both and asked me, has Richard made a mistake there? No. I mean, I said, I'm sure he
2: hasn't. <laughs> Oh, he's made plenty of mistakes, but not this one. Um, so this is no, this is intentional. If they were protected and male expert, quite frankly, why would you bother shooting? Um, so it's not to it's to still make the fact that these this is a shooting army that can fight rather than a fighting army that has a few shooters. Uh, the any of the horse archers, regraded or not, can be upgraded. Up to half of them as average unprotected skilled bow male expert with shoot and charge. Um, so yeah, you can you can mix and match your horse archers. So so just to be
0: clear because this is where I would make the mistake. Are you saying that the cavalry can be formed flexible, average protected skilled bow?
2: No, that's the one option you don't have. Oh, okay. You have either average protected experienced bow. Or you can have half of your horse archers' average unprotected skilled bow with melee expert. Right. So if You've got the skilled bow, you're going to be unprotected. Right. Um, along with that, you can have some herald or skirry subjects. They're just short spear, melee expert, cavalry. Uh, you can have allen lancers, uh, who are average protected charging lancer an optional melee expert uh, and you can have some skirmishing cavalry in the list we call them Allen horse archers quite frankly they could be any um but they are uh, average unprotected experienced bow with the option of combat shy and the option to regrade up them all or none with contabry um so that's the list um until you get to Uh, The Attila 433 to 453, when you can add in your Frankish or Rugian subjects, they're tribal, flexible, average protected, short spear, devastating charger infantry. Uh, You can have Burgundian subjects who are just average protected, devastating charger and close. Or you can have Thuringians who are tribal, flexible, average devastating charger. So you can have up to four... um, Five even powerful tugs of Germanic to go along with those Frankish
0: or Rugian subjects, infantry, tribal, flexible, average protected, short spear, dev chargers, useful and not too shoddy. You know, I mean, useful and flexible and not too shoddy. I, I quite like the sound of those. Whether any of them make it into your army is another matter. But...
2: No, I suppose <laughs> this is where we come on to the army. I should say the Huns can also have various allies. Uh, including Gepids from 4.33 to 4, and Ostrogoths from 430. So you can play about with allies. But for my Hunnic army, uh, I went for uh, a cavalry army. So I left the Germanic subjects behind. Uh, I have essentially, let's start with the command. I have Attila as talented, instinctive. And I had three uh competent instinctive subgenerals. So I've actually got the one extra com- card compared to the Romans, but I'm instinct compared to their profession. Uh the Huns have to have either a mobile or fortified camp. And for this list I went for a poor fortified camp. So um uh it, it, it can stand for a little while, but you don't you don't you're not gonna last long if you're fortified camp sustained Roman um the cavalry arm itself is nine tugs um three tugs of four nobles and followers these are the superior protected i downgraded the bow to unskilled bow um kept them short short spearing with male expert so these tugs are really primarily designed to fight rather than shoot and run away uh, and they're designed to be the backup to the remaining six tugs of horse archers, which are all sixes, three of them average protected experience bow and three of them average unprotected skill bow, melee expert shoot and charge. Um, why give the shoot and charge to the skilled ones? Well then, if anybody tries to play the hold them up game, um, that's very risky with the skilled bow shoot and charge. Um, you can get in there slow them down catch them and disperse them quite well. um, along with that i've got one unit of uh, skirmishing cavalry cantabrian combat shy um, so uh, 10 units nine tugs pbs of seven and a scouting of six which is quite nice so good chance of out scouting those pesky
1: Yeah, so one thing i didn't mention about my list was a uh... The same pbs but scouting of three um i just assumed i'd be out scouted by this huns
2: yeah i mean in terms of fighting the romans i want to by and large i don't want to get dragged into fighting the infantry i want to be um overwhelming the roman cavalry with a bit of luck um ideally probably defending because that puts us onto planes or standard terrain but um uh yeah, that, that's often down to the luck of the dice. On that. Yeah, but
0: with your planning, you know, when you have your standard plan in mind, that's an interesting one because it's weird. I'm almost certainly wrong, but my instinct was to say, if I'm the hun- hunt, I want to go first.
2: Um, a, there, there is an argument for getting first and moving forward. Um, slows down your opponent, gives you a bit more space on the table. Yeah. Um, I, with this, I want, to, I want to be playing around the edges um and if I'm getting pushed back towards the table, I'm probably in a bit of a problem anyway. With the with all the flexibles and the four generals, there's always an an option of going for one of the sub-generals as a flank march. Yeah. Yeah. Um, get your opponent thinking um where are they coming on, what are they going to be. Um so that's that, that's always an
1: option. Uh, yeah. But he, it would be a competent general on a flank mark. It um, would, but I, uh, only but requiring one card. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, my, my preference is always if if I've got an army, I think I'm going to flank mark with. A, I would prefer to have a, the talent to do that.
2: Yeah, I'm not a great flank marcher, so I. Um, that's probably why I'm where you're well, at. I'd,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't think it's an army that you you sort of go and say, well, you know, there's a, a fair chance I'll do it, you know, a third or a half
0: of the times. And, uh, and also, I'd just be scared stiff. You've got an army with nine troops, and I'm going to flank march six of them, and there and they're, and oh, sorry, three of them, and the three of them are well, you couldn't send all experience. The experience bow, I suppose, is what you'd.
2: I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually march more than flank march probably more than two of the. Time. Right. Okay. But uh, uh, yeah, that, particularly yeah. with a commander flank marching that would be a real um, so what you're saying is the army is n- admitted
0: the army is not set up to let's be
2: honest it, It's 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 uh, a unlikely option but um in the right circumstances i might try yeah so and, and as you say with the flexible
1: you you only need the one mm-hmm. to bring them on one red card so
2: yeah and and sometimes if they don't come on it's more of a pain to your opponent than than when they do because your opponent's thinking do I ignore them? Do I just press the rest of the army and leave my flank exposed <laughs> a bit, or or do I keep um, some units back to protect that flank? Yeah, oh,
1: quite. Yeah. Is uh, and 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 even if you did flank march, I mean you've got three competent sub generals and the talented C and C, so you've got you still got quite a lot of cards. You can have ten on
2: table I anyway. Can have ten on table and probably seven units. So. Um, of three of which are the nobles and followers, so um, which I'm, I'm not going to worry too much. Yeah. Does bring me to the nobles and followers. Um, you
1: know, know, it's definitely one of these personal things. They're fighting troops. I don't like them in fours. You know, but you've downgraded the the bowmen to really focus them to be fighting troops. I, I'd have gone for two sixes and to get the nine tugs, split some, had some four four base horse archery units change the balance in that respect you know but you know it I, I will recognize that's a that could just be a personal
2: preference it, it's playing the game of i'm relying on doing enough shooting damage that by the time i got the fours in combat it's not a a situation where i'm going to worry about it so much um, this this is an army which is luring my opponent onto me and, and it, I mean, it requires timing um, to when you actually commit the nobles, um, and you can get it badly wrong um, as well. If you, but, but yeah,
1: back to you, back to your command and control with those with those thirteen cards. Yeah. You, you you you've certainly you've certainly got a good chance of putting them in the right place. You know, you you'd be very unlucky to be going. Damn, I got the wrong cards this time to
2: move that unit. A double move around there to be in a threatening position it, it happens but you yeah i mean that's that's the whole taking the army as a whole you've got 13 cards you've got nine tugs and a sug um you hope to be in a situation i mean you've, you've probably got um attila with maybe with three three units the other three generals with two units each um you you're, you'd be unlucky to be completely stuck.
1: Yeah, but, but yeah, still. And, you know, and I
2: think... when you do come to fighting, you're throwing in the general because by that stage, um it's it's all or nothing. So
1: <laughs> you you're either finishing the enemy off, or it's that last ditch, desperate.
2: Indeed.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, again, you know The the pre- my pre- my preference for. Sixes for those unit fighting units does come off the back of my experience, especially with my Seljuk Rum army, which has you know a a, a mixture of skilled shooting Turkmen, experienced Turkmen, and um Mamluks. And I found if I have the Mamluks in fours, it never it's something always goes wrong, basically. Now, maybe that's the way I'm playing it, and you 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 will be more controlled, but I get a lot better use out of them uh, sixes I, I generally have two sixes rather than three fours yeah
2: it's well that, that's what makes makes so fun well it, exactly Modern way of doing it
1: yeah and, and you know perhaps the other the other side of that is i'm more accepting a four base unprotected flexible units
2: yeah i i'm not i'm never keen on them but as you say that's preference um the problem if you have a four yeah when they're a sub,
0: sub what are they shooting i mean they're shooting yeah one- one, set, one base down, aren't they?
1: If you're skilled, you can still be shooting on whites. Yeah. If you're in SUG formation. If yeah, I it,
2: wanted it, to shoot on whites, I'd, I'd get experienced bow. <laughs> well, I mean, I,
1: I find having the mix of them, you, you'd be if you've got fours of skill, those are the ones you're trying to be shooting sort of from the, more from the, the angles and the the, the experience, of the sitting there going, hello. But, you know, it, it's, yeah. I think as you say, you know, the, these are these are valid choices. And it can it often come down to just what you prefer, what you get best used out of. I
0: mean, I think I think what uh, RJC said, he said, you know, he, w- he was going to pick on your cavalry. And those skilled bow sixes shooting at your equites, your federati, ferrari cavalry, just, they can deal them a lot of damage. They, they,
1: they can do. And you know, that's why I say, you know, I, the, the, in my Roman, I'd be almost looking to lead with the infantry and the clibonari as the sort of bastion yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I I have to around. avoid those somehow, slow them down, and um, focus on the rest of your army. If if the infantry and the Clibonari pin me down, then I'm in trouble. And again, it, that comes back to why you want to defend, of course, against the Romans.
1: Pull them into the plains. You know, the the Roman. You know, my Roman army. I would be looking to defend in something like mountains. Yeah, the
2: mountains are your friend.
1: Yeah, to okay. to. to you know, which I think you know, Ray mentioned the game I had against Paul Cummings. I think we ended up with you know the, the nice steep hills on one flank and a really really useful bit of some sort of bad going on the other flank, which sort of in the middle of the table took those took those twenty almost twenty base widths off the table. So you know the Romans go forward. Warm.
2: <laughs> I, I I think it would make a cracking game actually putting those two armies against each other.
1: Yeah. Uh, yes, actually I, I think I think it'd be a really interesting game. Perhaps we ought to do it someday. <laughs> actually, actually, one thing, another thing. Actually, I should have mentioned with my list. I forgot to, to. This might come as a surprise to you. I basically got that list from Robin Spence. It
2: doesn't come as a huge surprise to me. He is <laughs> uh, um, quite, I, quite a good army constructor, in my opinion. I, I thought this was a
1: really good one. I, I I I can't remember. I went down his his place sometime last year when. It was possible to go and visit people. We had a game, and I came away thinking, "I rather like that army. I'm going to nick it." <laughs> so yeah. you know, a, a shout out to Robin for that one.
2: So shall we take a look at the Gepids and Ostrogoths? While you're while you're setting that up,
0: you remember if you're nice to uh, if you're nice to Robin, he's not like one of those gremlins. If you're nice to him, then he you know he goes he goes <laughs> mad and starts. Just, you've got to treat him mean.
1: Okay, I'm not sure what to make of that comment, Ray.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually borderline
2: loser. <laughs> so let's let's press on then, shall we, with the Gepids and Ostrogoths. Um so um the these are both um sort of Eastern Germanic tribes that uh, adopted um cavalry as well as retaining um infantry elements. Um it's worth saying uh that the sources for both are um let's be polite here, thin, um, and uh, it's um, uh, the, the lists here probably have a fair element of uh, guesswork in the classification. In fact, I'll, I'll mention at this stage that if you're a Society of Ancient member, please remember the virtual conferences this weekend, and you can actually hear um, the author of our Goths book, Uh, who is, and I'm desperate looking today, I've lost email with... Michael Freehold. That's it. Um, He is actually one of the speakers and is actually talking about uh, early Goths. So this is before the Battle of Adrian and not 370, I think it is, AD, Um, but very well worth speaking. Uh, If you're not a Society of Ancients member, of course, my response is why not?
0: Well, I tell you, before we move off that, a lot of people in the Meg community, I've noticed, been saying they're George Society of Angels. The word is getting out
2: there. Great. Well,
0: well we, Robin, for example, you just mentioned, he said he.
2: Yeah. Well, if you're, if you're interested in the history at all and, and in the wargaming, no better place. So um, the army lists for Gepid um, we have 24 to 36 cavalry, form loose, average protected short spear optional melee expo. um and then uh to 18 best cavalry which are superior protected devastating chargers and half of those best cavalry can be upgraded with optional melee expo. um so you you have a sort of um punchy cavalry not um not a skirmishy type cavalry um component here and obviously Not the strongest um, thrusting cavalry, but on the plus side, they're cheaper. Um, Along with that, you can have up to 36 tribal flexible, average protected, short spear, devastating charger infantry. So uh, if the Hunnic Germanic infantry were of interest to you, Ray, I'm sure the Gepid infantry would be of interest as well. Along with that, you can have uh, up to 36 uh, archers, average unprotected experience bow with optional combat shy, uh, and you can have some skirmishes as well. Uh, in 454, and only in 454, you can take uh, Rugi and Thuringian allies. Uh, but if you take the allies, you have to take both of them together. Um, so that turns the army very much into a uh, strong infantry. Um, just by comparison, uh, the Grey or early Ostrogoth list. Um, and really, um, these terms you have to be a bit careful with because they are uh, anachronistic for Ostrogoth. And Grey essentially was just one of a host of Eastern Gothic tribes. Um, there, the cavalry is similar. You've got average protected short spear, optional man expert, and you've got the best great cavalry that can be upgraded. So essentially, you have a very similar cavalry component. Uh, the only difference for the Ostrogoths is from 440, then you can have any of the best cavalry regrad- regraded as superior protected charging lance. Um, along with that, you can have a tug of Allen or Hun mercenaries, uh, form-flexible-average, jump-experienced bow, melee expert and charge. And your infantry with the Ostrogoths they are tribal close average protected unskilled javelin short spear with optional shoot and charge and you can only have eight up to 18 of those um, but you can have 12 to 60 archers who are the tribal loose average 100 experienced bow with a skirmish so um a a different implement there but you can also add herald allies uh they're available from 253 and i think available right through the period. Um, So those are the actual lists. Um, I drew up two armies just to take a look at what they would offer. And the best lists I could come up with, if I can find the relevant screen, are the, so the early Ostrogoth has um, two talented commanders, a competent and a mediocre. That's just how the points uh, fell out i gave them a poor fortified camp i had the two units of eight warriors those are the um the loose average pretty unskilled javelin spear. and i realized i might have included an error in the list there um <laughs> your turn I had two two units of six archers so i minimized the tribal foot archers um had three units of six best cavalry superior protected charging lancer. So there, I did go for the sixes because I'm probably going to charge them in, uh, possibly break them off and charge them in again. And then four tugs of six cavalry average protected short spear mallets. Along with that, I actually put in three tugs of skirmish. So I had eleven tugs, sorry, types of skirmish. So eleven tugs and three. Uh, PBS of six and a scouting of four. You can only uh, have 12 warriors. Sorry? I think you can, in the PDF, you can You can have up to 18 warriors, and I've had two. Is this within your early Austrians? Yeah. Are you looking
1: at the Magna version?
0: Oh.
2: Who? Who's
1: <laughs> <Boom. laughs> the bookmarks? Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think Rich- Richard's... Richard's potential error is he's, he's hes classified the warriors as formed loose when they should be tribal I,
2: flexible. I obviously didn't change the default on the
1: army build. So, so in fact, I think that means that you've overcharged yourself.
2: I have indeed. I actually have probably what 160 extra points or something like that. You, you might be able to boost that mediocre general. Uh, that would be an option. I might even be able to have nines of warriors if I want wanted. But, yeah. Um, You've it, been playing at the edges, really. Yeah, I mean, it's—I um, have to
1: say, Richard, this army surprises me.
2: The early Ostrogoths.
1: Yeah, in that it's a lot better than I thought it would be. I had not realised about the charging lancer option for the best cavalry, right? Or, or indeed, that you can basically have that many units of six cavalry in, an, in yeah. the up. Yeah, I mean,
2: I mean, the, the Goths fought the Huns. Um, and it wasn't a one-sided contest by any means. No, and also um, I, think,
1: I think by having, you know, those those three skirmisher units and a couple of the archer units, OK, the archer units are very weak in some respects, but, you know, it's almost a case of, well, a couple of shots from those doing a bit of damage is a bonus. Yeah, actually, again, from from the way I've approached this, the armies of this podcast, I thinking, how would I fight the Huns? I think it has, has a, a lot of potential. In that the the cavalry units are quite big, so they can absorb some shooting. And if they get, make contact, apart from the Hunnic noble, they'll, they'll, they'll butcher the Huns. Oh,
2: and and you've got seven, you've got seven tugs of six there. So. Yeah,
1: that, it, that, that, in a way, the seven six and three of them are superior and charging lancer, which is <laughs> is, is is quite frightening. In fact, I, I have to say I wouldn't like to face it with my Roman, because <laughs> because obviously my Roman's been tilted towards the cavalry. And the cavalry in this one probably outclasses it, or at least you know, outnumbers it enough that it, it it'll cause problems that way. Yeah, th- this this it's one of these armies, you know, I think glance over the army list it's not my sort of army really. But when somebody sits down and produces we go, oh, hang on.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um so let us look at the Gepid, because that that's a slightly different makeup, um, but it's similar in some ways. Um so the Gepids, uh, they get four units of eight warriors. Um, I, uh, this time they, I've actually got a talented and three constant instinctive generals of points. Um, so yeah, four units of eight warriors. Um, the cavalry, I've got one, two, two tugs of six cavalry and three tugs of four cavalry. Two of the fours have melee expert, the fourth, The the final cavalry, final four, rather, of cavalry doesn't have expert. But in the best cavalry, I've got two fours of superior devastating charges and two fours of superior devastating charges man-expert. So I've managed to get 13 tugs in the army, nine of which are cavalry tugs, admittedly um, only two of those being sixes. now, whether that's a good idea for fighting the Huns, um, I'm not sure because the smaller units are more vulnerable to the Hun shooting. Um, but with with the solid infantry block as well, and just the sheer number of cavalry units, um, it's going to cause the Huns a few problems. Um, I think I think, got... sorry. sorry, I was going to just finally say that I think of the two, I probably prefer the ostrich list, but... Um, they both pose interesting challenges. Yeah, no, I,
1: I was just about to say, of the two, I think the Oscar Goth I, w- I would prefer. It's back to the sixes, the fighting troops, and I think if I was if I was using your Hunnic list,
2: I would prefer to be fighting an army that's got fours. Yeah. However, against the Romans, I would go with the seven.
1: Um. Mm, well, actually, yes, it's their infantry, isn't it? It's they're, they're their
2: infantry. Of the solid infantry. And all those cavalry units that can, um, if I can't get a cavalry unit into the flank of your cavalry at some point, I would be extremely disappointed. And, and the infantry are, um,
1: well, they're, they're generally better than the Romans on the ch- in the charge phase and equal in the melee phase. Well, okay, Well, I think not against the superiors, but, you know, you could do massive damage in the charge phase because you've got short spear and dev charger.
0: But what are you going to do with the infantry, those Gepard infants, enough infantry, you'll keep the Romans on it. Yes. Nothing else. And if you, if the Romans get in or you get in, it'll be it's not going to resolve itself quickly. So that you'll have plenty of time to work your cavalry around. That's what I don't like about the early Australists. Now, I'm going to put all my prejudices about having used Grithingi before it was nerfed and then nerfed again. I'll put all that on one side and talk about that early Ostromist. Right. those two units of eight warriors and forget the archers take one pop, what are they going to do against foot? Nothing. So there's just not enough infantry in, in that army. So I actually vote against either against either opponents. I'd go for the... I'm actually quite impressed with the Gepid. I mean, I, I quite like superior charging lancers. You know, that's three on the charge. But that's, that's you know, you're getting into night territory there. But although I do look across and I see devastating charges in the Gepid list, I'm a bit worried about playing the, the charging lancers, would you not pull them apart with your, pull them out of shape and pull them out of position? Well,
1: you I mean, would with a dev charger as well, wouldn't you? Both exactly. No, no,
0: no, I said, looking across, you've got the dev chargers. That's the, in a way, that's the weakness with this army. You could pull this army out if, if, if they were, even if, if they were short spear javelin armed cavalry <laughs> like they used to it. <laughs> it you be. You wouldn't be able to pull them out of shape.
1: Yeah, that, that's where I think the Gepid is more vulnerable. Because if you pull it out of shape, you can start ganging up on the fours. Yes. And and you can explode them very quickly, especially with skilled shooters. So, so <laughs> what
0: we want is the foot from the Gepid and <laughs> the cavalry from the, <laughs> the
1: Ostrogoth. Oh, That's yeah. Now, that, that would be extremely nasty. Yeah. It's certainly, and in, in period, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's as the the, the four, yes, yes, it would be horrible, actually.
0: I, I looked at the early Ostrogoth when you asked me to do some lists for this podcast, and I don't know, I was a bit joddy and busy. I looked at the early Ostrogoth, and I, I, I couldn't put a list. I said to Vic, I actually can't think of a list
2: to put together with that list. With that I, list. I, mean, the, I actually think the other feature of the Ostrogoth list is the three tugs of six skirmishing archers. They would actually cause the Huns quite a lot of bother, potentially, because um, the... Hun, hun horse archers don't particularly like being uh, getting into ex- shooting exchanges with skirmishers. No. It's, it's sort of a no-win, isn't
1: it? Because if they kill the skirmishers, so you, you know, you've picked up a few points but nothing really towards an army break. And anything you lose is quite damaging. I, I think it, uh, people <laughs> still don't use I enough... Them and shoot them on white dice, yeah. <laughs> it's almost any of the shooting... And, yeah, you, and you can put them... You can put them in front of those charging cavalry. Yeah. You know, and, and just start daring the Huns to come up close. You know, if they want to want to advance and push the skirmishers out of the way, they're going to end up very close to the charging lancers.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that might not be fun for the Hun. No, all,
1: all it takes is, you know, the one the want the time you roll a one with your skirmish or run away, you get caught, and then the pursuit then cr- Crashes into the units that did make it away, or, or forces them to flee again, and suddenly the table edge is coming into play. So, I, I, I am remarkably impressed, Richard, with the, both in many ways with both of those barbarian armies, the Germanics. But the, I think it's, the Ostrogoth does get my my tip out of the two, and and, and certainly the, this this podcast revelation to me. That, the...
0: But when you think superior charging lancer, three three on the charge. Hmm. It's not too shoddy. Is it? So no, it isn't, one, you know is it? before we move off the list, tactically, are you saying you would push the skirmishers like tugging the sun, but
2: pushing the sun with the cavalry?
1: Quite possibly, yes. Yeah, Against I the
2: I, I probably would. I certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't bother putting the skirmishing archers. With the warriors, no. Um, the, the 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 skirmishing archers are going with the cavalry. I mean, the the, the two
1: units of warriors in the the Ostrogoth. I see the use for is if there's if you've managed to wangle a piece of rough terrain in somewhere that's a bit inconvenient it could just add pressure to something like the huns yeah um, just by going through them and go well look there's the 16
2: bases of us <laughs> I, I often love a rough hill uh in those sort of circumstances because um your opponent's probably going to stay away from you so you 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 can take the hill and then then be a nuisance from there yeah um, and given the size of the armies your hun list couldn't then Sort of
1: go, oh well we'll come up and pelt you from the bottom of the hill because all those Ostrogoth cavalry would be going, hello. Absolutely. Or <laughs> indeed the the Ostrogoth, yeah, fronted by those skirmishing infantry. It's I think it would pose the it would pose the
2: Huns a real problem. Yeah, and and even the archers, although they're they're downgraded and and little more than uh um pumping up the tug numbers, uh, in a on a rough hill, um they, they, they can be tested. Yeah, and I suppose if you then looking
1: at how would it fight the Romans, well, keep the archers out of the way.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're probably sitting at the back side.
1: Yeah, they just become filler in that really-
0: or any
2: corner. Yeah.
0: Um, okay, so before we move on to the the next section of the figures and the, the reference source, uh, in time-honoured fashion, uh, he, you know Nick, Nick sounds like he might have had some kind of road to Damascus so, in time-honoured fashion, uh, which of the four lists would no? How would you want to do this? Which
2: list would we choose to fight the Huns? Uh, if I'm fighting the Huns, I'm going with the uh, Ostrogoths. Yeah, I, I rather suspect I am
1: as well. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, I've got those three units I could use as the Lancers. I've got a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was trying to tick off in my
2: mind what I could actually use it for yeah. I will. I, I apologise in advance to the person who, in a competition, is facing uh, Mr. Gore with an early Ostrogoth army. <laughs> oh, I'll man. probably cock it up, something rotten.
1: But uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I can lend you all the figures if you want to do that army, and you're welcome. Against the Huns, I I would still be very happy to use the Roman list. Uh, I, I borrowed from Robin. Um, but I would be very tempted to take that Ostrogoth, and part of that will be because it's a bit different. I've used the Romans, um, and I've used those Romans against Huns, so why not try something different? My I'd vote. Uh, thank you, my Richard, day. for that one. My you, Ray? Sorry, Ray.
0: To, solidly for the Romans, my vote. <laughs> I'm going to fight those Huns, even though it is Robin's list. I can't believe I'd use one of Robin's lists, but uh, I'd go for the Romans. I think the Romans have got them to uh, to do the job. But you know, I, I think the Huns. In the hands of a of an expert like you, think are a formidable, formidable the, those kind of armies as well. They're just very.
1: It, it's a very. It's good. It would. I think you get as Richard said earlier. I think you have a really good game.
2: I, I I think that's a cracking group of armies actually, and I think there are lots of options for very interesting. Yeah, and I think the way you brought out the differences
1: between Gepids and the Ostrogoths is good. I mean, I, I, in my mind, I just classify them all. That's all Germanic horse armies. They're all basically the same. As I said I hadn't clocked the the charging lance difference, which, which is enough of a difference in my mind to really make make it stand out
2: from the crowd. There there are quite a few interesting Germanic armies around that that period, the sort of later Roman Empire period combinations of allies or whatever. So um, take a look at them, see what you can come up with. Yeah, I think it did.
1: It, yeah, it's definitely a look beyond that first glance that I've ever I've only ever done. Perhaps I'm just too much of a Romanist. <laughs>
0: Right, so what, what should we do now figures for the armies?
1: We can we can move on to that if you wish. Got that. Figures
0: that the... I don't think we're short of figure manufacturing.
1: Um no, no. I, I, I have done my usual um troll the uh, troll the net um in addition to the to the ones I've used. And um as you know, the trad- now traditional apology to the twenty-eight mil players and fifteen mil person myself, so most of my knowledge comes from there, but it's not difficult to find different scales. And of course, I should mention, of course, there's also yeah, 10 mil for Will Denham, um, and Pendrach can do some very nice ranges for those. Anyway, for, for in 15 mil, um, you, you, there's loads of figures for um, Huns, the Romans, and the, the Goths and Germanic types out there. Um, doesn't take long to find any. Um, the the Lurkio range um which is also done in by a plastic soldier company in the ultra cast material um the range is there for the goths and germans the late romans and the hun you could do any of these armies from those uh one of our one of our perennial favorites legio heroica from italy giuseppe it is giuseppe isn't it, it is, yes thank you um again he's got a goths and hun range and a late roman range that covers it nicely curazan from the states same again hunnic range and the late Roman range, as well as the Germanics. And our, our inevitable plug for Essex miniatures, who cover them all in their ancients lines as well, um, I, easy to get I, hold of.
0: I just mentioned something about Essex. I've always been, you know, I've always been a bit snobby, but it came to me needing to paint a hundred men-at-arms to go down, and or whatever it was. And I I put an order in, dispatched the next day, arrived the day after. Very little flash on the figures. Good, nice. Good. That M E R range. Really nice figures. Painted up well. I take it all back. Essex. You know what? Big range. They've got a lot of stuff. And if you just need stuff to arrive, it will arrive. Yeah, they're, they're
1: very reliable. Yeah, it's a, a good solid range. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you know, especially if some of us have been around for a long time, we might look look down our noses occasionally at Essex, but they do some very nice figures, as you say. They're they're, they're easy to paint up. A very good place for somebody starting out to go to because you, know, you, you get reliable service. You've got figures that look the part, paint up nicely, you know, what's not to like.
0: They happen to be especially easy to paint up in this occasion because Robin Spence gave me a tip on how to paint the plate armour. And basically a man in arms is just plate armour. So no oil, straight on. Not even on under- <laughs> oil. That was it. It was done. Job done.
1: Great. <laughs> right. Anyway, on to other manufacturers. They've pulled out some... Um, at the, the, the more budget price range, um, but still perfectly serviceable figures. Outpost War Games Services have Late Romans and some Germanics in their Dark Ages range. Lancashire Games, again, have Late Romans, Goths and Huns, and they're they're, they're definitely good price, and as, as do Fighting 15. um, They've got Late Roman, Goth, and for Huns, they've got an Asiatic Nomads range, and they're basically Huns, so you're covered for that. 28 mil. Essex have 28 mil as well. We've got late Romans and Huns. I didn't spot any of the sort of Goths, but I must confess I didn't dig through their, their catalogue that much. So they may have suitable figures in various. Um, footsore miniatures have a late Roman range and also Huns and also Goths. So again, cover the lot. Gri- Gripping Beast, likewise. And they do some very nice figures, do Gripping beasts. Foundry do late Roman and Huns. And new line designs have late Romans and their enemies, which sounds like it's exactly what you need for the armies we've been talking about today. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the painting side of it, Little Big Man Studios do transfers for late Romans and Goth for various fifteen mil ranges and uh, some of the twenty-eight mil ranges as well. So worth looking at um, if you're not sure about whether they'll fit a certain range. I found dropping dropping the guy a line asking. Do your what size his transfers are, he'll come back and tell you. Measure up against your figures, you'll find whether they work or not. And then there's the Vini Vidi Vicky water slide transfers, uh, maybe not quite as fancy as the little big men ones, but they do a job. They get your shields with designs on far quicker than you'll do it by painting by hand. And you know, like a lot of these things, will look great en masse so, and they're cheaper. So, some options there. For-
0: okay, can I just ask you a quick question? Um, the pacto starter army the late Imperial Romans yes are they too different from what we've no <laughs> is, is, the, <laughs> is
1: is the simple answer good, um, good, good. Is, is um and if you if you're looking beyond the um the actual starter pack and looking at um because I think they, they now do packs of the that say just like the Roman legionaries separate the unarmored ones would be um Probably especially suitable as the as the empire drifts towards its dissipation in the west, and uh, you know also some of the eastern ones who maybe not quite as well equipped as other ones, um, but basically the 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 PSC stroke lurchio late Roman, especially the infantry, perfectly great good for them, and little big men studio Kurazan sized um, shield transfers. That's what I use so yeah they they
0: and obviously brings the price down a little bit to two-thirds of uh,
1: yes yeah and it, in fact that the, the it, it's um the difference between the Lurkio metal infantry and the PSE plastic infantry in the in the late romans is negligible i've got right. both i've mixed both you really can't tell the difference if you pick them up yeah they're they're they're, they're they are very very good they're, they are might
0: snobbishness about that as well <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah no they to get my my seal of them in fact would you like to have some book recommendations sorry ray i was just saying you hear
0: that <laughs> i have
2: a box of i have a box of uh, psc figures in my hand you, listeners you should see his face light up when he does that
1: <laughs> <laughs> he it won't light up so much when he has to cut out the shield transfers for is that which is the one downside of the little big men studio transfers? You have to cut out an oval shape.
0: I have I have my craft knife set for that.
1: I find a slightly curved nail scissors, small nail scissors, worked really well for going round the, the oval shield.
0: Oh, yeah, good call. So, right. Yeah. So, what are we moving on to now? I
1: say, would you like a few books to yeah. recommend? Yes, I've heard there's a really good book
0: called Age of Attila, <laughs> and it's part of the battles of the Great Commanders series. It's by Richard Jeffrey Cook.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I, I thought we weren't going down the corporate sellout route, Ray. It's not
0: corporate sellout, it's on the podcast.
1: Yeah, okay. In this in this one case we shall we shall plug it. Yeah. Yeah, no, Richard's book, very good. Um as you said it covers through to um the, the 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 Battle of the Catalonian plains as well. That's that is there on my list. In fact it's the top one. on my list
2: campaigning ideas as well And I think it's uh, the campaign ideas I think are what makes it a bit different from some of the other books
1: I did did like the little one about the the raid into um, the eastern empire after the walls of Constantinople collapsed and can Mm -hmm. the Huns get to Constantinople before the Romans rebuild the walls enough, that that, that I have to say was a very good idea, a very nice little uh, play out Play out a quick campaign. Can we feel
0: a campaign coming on, chaps?
1: Oh, I'm not sure about that. I just like d- bouncing around all the different armies I've got at the moment. True, true. Uh, I tell you, and for the intellectually challenged like me, it's got lots of pictures. <laughs> okay, and in which case we shall move on to some other books with pictures, because Osprey inevitably have several books that are, are relevant to this period. Um, some directly, some the period we've been talking about is within them. They do they do one on Huns, scourge of God. They do a campaign book on the the uh, the campaign and the battle of the catalonian fields which could sit next to richard's book um it's got some history but again talks about the huns a lot um there's a book on the late roman infantry late roman cavalry and the germanic warriors um, all by simon mcdowell um, as is the catalonian fields book um and they're all pretty useful good solid ospreys nice pictures good information um some other books that don't fall into the too academic category. Um, there's various books on Attila, Attila, even. I'll pick out one one on Attila the Hun, Arch Enemy of Rome by Ian Hughes. And there's a companion volume to go with that is Aetius, Attila's Nemesis. Um, so that's looking at it from two of the main players of the time. And then Simon McDowell, who I've just mentioned in the Osprey books, has done three books, one on the Goths, one on the Franks, and one on the Vandals. Um, again, are very relevant to this period obviously they the, will put links to these and you can see the full name on the blog so uh, if you, if you're trying to desperately scribble it down you don't need to. um because I like to i'd just want to point out a, a couple of a few of the more academic books for those who are interested in diving deeper into the the period um one of the sort of long time the book to go to on the Huns is called the world of the Huns studies in their c- History and culture, um, although it, it is starting to get a, a bit long in the tooth now, but it does underpin a lot of the work that happened on the Hun. A more recent book is called *The Huns*, and then in brackets, *Peoples of the Ancient World*. Um, this more concentrates on links between where the Huns came from and their links with the Xiongnu that we Richard and I mentioned earlier, and a lot about social structures. Um, not so much military but again if you want to get into sort of the background and look at some of those thoughts about where the Huns came from and it covers bits on the Huns uh, across inner, inner Asia as well and touches on other groups of Huns like the Sabirs and the Hephthalites. Um, so background to Goths, um, Peter Heather is one of the big names in the period, um, two books he's done on, on the Goths, one's called Goths and Romans, um, another one called, is called the Goths which are very similar books they look at the origins of the Goths, um, but they all um as a coalesced into peoples and their relationships with rome and of course the huns Um, so again it's a a, a deeper look into the background of the goths if you if you really want to do that he's also done some more general works on the history of the period um so if you search for peter heather on amazon you'll pull a thing um i can't go without mentioning what is one of my go-to books this period um, by Guy Halsall. It's called Barbarian Migrations and the Roman West, 376 to 568. Um, I'm really impressed by it, but it is quite an academic book. It goes into a lot of stuff about identity and but it does have a reasonable chunk on the, you know, the, the narrative history of it again. But again, it's definitely one if you want to dig in a bit deeper and come away from, read something that's going to make you think a bit. Um, another thing linked to what richard was saying earlier in the history book when he was talking about the failed attempt by the eastern empire to assassinate um attila the 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 historian in question is a guy called priscus and there is a translation of his work or what remains of his work um, in a book called the fragmentary history of Priscus: attila the huns and the roman empire A.D. 430 to 476. So again, that's, that's definitely one for the, the more dedicated who want to go back to the to the basis. But again, it's got some really interesting stuff on the Huns. Maybe you have to pick up on those bits Richard was talking about. You know, people being able to rise through society and Romans living with the Huns. And I think the I think Priscus even met, mentions he met a Roman who'd been basically captured to build a bathhouse for the Huns. <laughs> what would have become Attila's capital so Un- in-
2: indeed Attila famously had a bath yeah so
1: um, if you like those sort of bits from history that's one I'd recommend and it's one of the few sort of re- bits of history that's a reasonable chunk that's come down to us from the fifth century which is it is very very murky um not a book but I'd, I'd like to mention Luke Ueda Sarson's Notitia Dignitatum webpage. Which basically has all those lovely shield patterns for the late Romans from the Notitia Dignitatum online um, for for use as a reference if you want to hand paint your own shields instead of doing what most of us do and buy the little big men studios transfers. But it, you could copy those and therefore you you have an army that looked different from everybody else's because believe me, most people <laughs> get the transfers. Yeah. So all those links. And, and the book titles will be on the blog for your reference when that goes up when we publish this podcast. So hopefully, you'll find something of use there, depending on the level of your interest. But there's definitely a good chunk of them with pictures, Ray. Good.
0: <laughs> Actually, joking apart, the one that you were talking about that sounded a bit intellectual, I, I rather like the sound of that. Um,
1: the Guy Halsall one.
0: Yeah, joking apart.
1: Yeah, he's, he's um, working. He's working on a second edition at the moment.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll wait for that to come out then.
1: actually i'm hoping i've plugged that book enough he sends me one for free but that's probably wishful thinking are
0: we we drawing to a close on on this section um i think we are and um i I, I, I think we uh, i think it's we should mention that we want to run a new section of the podcast uh in future podcasts maybe not every um podcast it's Basically, um, we're going to call it a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. And we're looking for these strange uh, situations happen in a game um, where the rules are, you know, maybe you're finding it difficult to um, fully understand what should happen, and you're not sure you've got it right during the game. But obviously, during the game, just roll a dice, one, two, three, it's this, four, five, six, it's something else. Keep going with the game that you're playing, especially if it's friendly. And then you can always um, ask people after us. And we want to offer ourselves, to, you know, we, we we will be here, um, you know, if you want to send us situations. And really, it's just about taking a photo uh, and then, you know, sending it to us. We'll contact you by direct message or whatever. And we'll talk it through and understand what the situation was. And we will explain some of the, we'll create diagrams to go on the blog uh, to support what we say during the um, during the uh, during the push. and that uh, yeah. um, we have a couple of situations already in mind. Um, one of them, which is uh, we certainly will be doing, I don't know if it'll be the first one, which this whole thing about flank when it when is a flank charge a flank charge, when is the flank protected? And um, yeah, you know, in the game I played today, uh, something happened, and my, myself and my opponent weren't quite sure um and we just got on with the game um but uh, so those are the kind of things we we want to do so that uh, we'll we'll leave instructions uh over the next few podcasts to how people can send us those we'll deal with them so chaps before we move on to the next section which is um an interview with the founder and creator of med Simon Simon hall um what,
2: what else have we got to say guys what's happening uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to the society conference uh, and looking forward to getting in some gaming. So um, keep health, keep healthy, and stay safe. And remember, Richard, lists for the post-Covid
0: Cup are due this Sunday midday.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm pretty much got them ready to go. I'm down to a choice of three for each period
0: at the moment, so I'm I'm, I'm getting there. I'm whittling it down. Tested an army today. Well, I liked it. I think... I think rugger, final thoughts?
1: Well, I think I've got two armies nailed down for the post-Covid Cup, dithering on the third. But, yeah, I think it's a, it's all about the games now, isn't it? It is, isn't it? I mean, my, my, my painting is practically ground to a halt. Yeah. Apart from the fact I am for, I am painting some figures for Peter Cross for the post-Covid Cup, so... In,
0: in fact, since, since gaming started and we could go to each other's gardens and play... And we started doing this podcast. I don't think i painted anything. It's pretty really <laughs> annoying. I've got to get going again. No, no that's tr- not true. I painted an army for Sid's competition. <laughs> no, you, Apart from that. You
1: bought some figures and put some null noil on them.
0: They, they look great. They look fantastic. <laughs> they look great. Okay, so... Uh, As always, you two, um, I I literally couldn't do it without you because I'd just be mumbling and bumbling along saying not very much. Um, And uh, we're going to move on to an interview with Simon and uh, we will do another podcast in in, in a few weeks' time. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been a real blast. See you again soon. See you soon. Forward to it. Forward to this computer. Okay, so podcast listeners i'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the creator of meg simon hall and um you know i realise that uh, for me i've known simon for a number of years and i've had the opportunity to to chat with him about many many things but you out there you may never have had this opportunity for a kind of fireside chat with the creator And uh, I wanted to first, uh, I know you don't want to hear my voice, you want to hear Simon's voice, but I wanted to just give you a little sort of snapshot about Simon. And, you know, you've got to understand this guy created his first wargaming rule set when he was 13. And this is not rolling marbles to knock the soldiers over. This is a proper sophisticated rule set with two of his good buddies from school. Um, And then he went on and he was one of the originators in the fog rule system and that's all we're going to talk about fog and and then i remember going round to simon's uh, house we we actually live very close together and we we were both uh, shared a club for some years and in 2010 i was round at his house And uh, he said, Ray, 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 come into my War Games room. Because Simon, believe you me, he has a music room and a War Games room wherever he lives. And he says, come into my War Games room. And, you know, I I tried to get past the boxes of toy soldiers. And he said, just just, I've developed this new thing and it's Napoleonics. And and I absolutely know nothing about Napoleonics. And it was this system and the generals and they were moving independently and they had you know you could, I and, and it, it obviously all went over my head, but so in 2010, Simon was working on the framework that, that, that Meg is part of the CCC system, and um, and then six years later, self published the first version of Meg. So I think that shows you really the effort that goes into um, what developing a whole rule system, and also Simon having the, uh, you know, the balls to be very entrepreneurial about, I can't say it, be very entrepreneurial about it and publish his rule system for our enjoyment. So Simon, welcome to the podcast.
3: Yeah, thank you, Ray, and hello, podcasters. Yeah, it's great It's great to be here. I've been listening to this. But, uh, I have to admit, I've never been a massive pike person. And the first one about the success has educated me no end about them, so I'm putting pikes together now. <laughs> doesn't it, doesn't yeah. it happen that way? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah sid's got a lot to answer he has uh, yeah there we so, go so we, we've got an opportunity you're here so actually the first question from because I, I i' you know i've gone out to the community and i've asked them uh to, to, to give me some questions and look for the themes evolving but the most important question is you know are you fully recovered and, and are you healthy now
3: i i am yes i uh uh it wasn't a pleasant experience the doctors told me I would get well during April. I didn't realise quite how well they understood that. It was because I think they meant
0: 2022.
3: Did they? Uh, well, they did say you'll be back to normal by the end of April, which I thought, well, that's an ambitious <laughs> target. I don't, think <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've ever been that, but thanks for that. So, uh, um, no, they 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 knew how long it would take to get the heavyweight drugs out of the system that they had to put me on wow. I told you. So, yeah, I'm a... a Bren's 100%, body's 90%, but at my age, 90% for the body's probably all you get. So, so yeah, I'm back in action, and as of a, as of uh, about a week ago, really, I've got properly stuck back into Megan and other things on the wargames front.
0: You look pretty healthy and tan, but it's uh, it's it's summer in the southern hemisphere, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it's autumn now, but I think for for a Brit, you can think of it as yeah. <laughs> something.
0: <laughs> yes. So now, there we go. There is one question, a burning question from the community. And this came up time and time again, all right? what And, and they t- hold you personally responsible, okay? And they all need right. an answer. Okay. What is happening with Southern Mapuche? <laughs> <laughs>
3: You're on the Southern spot now. Mapucci. Is it that that really came up? It's good this, to see. This is up. the question that people are asking. Big picture stuff, Ray. I can see the Southern Mapuche. Well, I believe some people have painted up a big Southern Mapuche, and it would be a dreadful shame not to see them on the table at some point. So, um, so they are back in in terms of being able to use the discretion of the organisers <laughs> oh, they're, they're in open competition so um right. whoever's got them can bring them to my school rollers jamboree and i'm perfectly happy with it. In, in due course there's a puzzle to solve as we get the renaissance set out when we get reg out properly because there's a crossover and that arms in both but i i don't want to sort that out until it's out there's no point i said to the team let's let's get the renaissance rules out get them a list right for renaissance and then we'll think about little crossover issues for that but I'm a big fan of having them in both it's just this is Meg's way of best representing the red wing. There was a little so, uh, comedy so, moment yeah.
0: there was a little comedy moment on the uh we have a WhatsApp uh group well you're a part of it for the for the tournament players and <laughs> so the guy who was very concerned about this was saying and I said to him well you know now it's been nerfed it's not that great an army and he didn't realize how good it was about three years ago <laughs> and he's like what do you mean it's been nerfed and we're like Trust me, when it first came
3: out. I remember <laughs> so, seeing it three years ago at a tournament and thinking, that's a bit of a beastie, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, I think that's over egged a bit in the list. Yes, yes. But it's, yeah. uh, no. so, so we've All
0: solved sort of- the, the, the Southern. Mapuche uh, So The big issue is solved, that's
3: it. Yeah, so, so if, if this was Prime Minister's question time, that would be a year's worth of solving problems. So, well, so, I've evaded the answer several times by now already for
0: Prime Minister's yeah. question. <laughs> so so <laughs> th- thinking more thematically and, and taking a bit more of a helicopter view than right. what's happening with Southern Mapuche um, is, is is this. So there is, um, you know, there is both worry and excitement in the community about the new system. And, you know, I can literally say to you from the people I've spoken to and messaged and talked to, you know, that they're in equal parts. So really, it's just to understand from you before we move on to the the, the new systems and, and what's happening. So, so um, you know, there are people in the Meg community who say things like, let's get Meg where it should be. I don't know what that means, by the way, but let's get Meg where it should be before we start. Moving on to new periods, right? So, firstly, firstly, so my question there is: Well, let's get some bloody facts on the table. So, where is Meg? So, you pu- first published, you know, in uh, two thousand and sixteen. We we had the the binder version, the Spartans, and all that, and you know, I missed that. And then one day you arrived at my house and said, "This is what you're going to play now." And and now, then we had the compendium edition, which I have to say. Production value is fantastic. I mean, really, genuinely fantastic. Um, and I know, you know, there's some things about the order of things, but, you know, basically, production value is fantastic. So where do you think we are with, with Meg right now? How many, what would you estimate? Well, how many rule sets have been sold worldwide?
3: Um, I reckon there's about 2,000. So obviously, some of those are not being played. Some being played by several. Yes, people, so absolutely. Knows. So player base, somewhere over 2,000, I'd say. We have got it out in... Quite a few countries, but some countries are just getting going. I, I saw this week was fantastic in German, came out this. There's some great materials coming out in the US. I mean, the lack of events made it limited. The big impact seeing it, all games were playing it. So I, I think we are less than halfway to where we're going to end. Right. Okay. You know, we, we, we can have an ambition, I think, of having 5,000 players for the marketing right in some of the coming I mean, years. That would be a delightful, so that's broadly speaking where I think we are. In terms of the actual game itself, it's finished. You know, there's there's nothing more I want to change about it. The, uh, the recent tweaks, if you like, were all claries. Some claries, some bugger out there will always find some wording I got slightly wrong and can be twisted in front of a, a judge to a particular direction by a good barrister. So I'm always gonna have to do a little bit so that, but that's just, that's just Clarys. The game flows beautifully. I'm really pleased with how the armies feel. Nothing's changing for five years. We've got a good run at Just Minister, A really big playing community, and, and the really lovely thing I'm finding about it is I'm getting a lot of messages, and people are picking up the Pacto version of the game, and they don't come from ancient wargaming. Yes, it's great. They're coming I mean, that- from sci-fi. They're coming from 40k. Or yeah. World War II or something where they've never done anything like this before, but the system has a kind of appeal to them, gold ice and it's fun, it grabs a different audience. So I think we're building up a really interest for players who've never played ancient, who are going, ooh, this is actually rather good. So,
0: so I guess to, to, to nail down the 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 people who are genuinely worried because they feel they've personally invested time. I think it's great news that there are no changes to the rules. I mean, I will ask you some questions later about particular things when we get down into the micro details, but you know, there are no changes there are you know there will be Clarys, great i mean stakes there's an interesting one so um the uh so 5000 we're on a journey 5000 is the destination and there are plans to to get the player base there and and i think you know nothing lives in isolation and we'll come on to talk about the you know the psc tie up and the the plastic uh, soldiers and the tie ups there. And I think that's a big part of that. But that's, you know, it's your business, not mine, but you've done that. So I think there is there are plans to get there. And as you say, events will open up again and we will be spreading the word. I'm actually, I believe I've been roped in by uh RJC to do a demo game at uh, a Meg demo game at one of the um, Society of Ancients events. So there you go. So we're out there pushing, pushing it forward. So, so now let's look at the other side of the of, of that thematically of that, those concerns. No, no, not concerns or opportunities. You know, people are excited about the new, um, you know, the new things coming out under the CCC system. So, so firstly, on a personal level, you know you know, it takes me long enough. Someone said to me this morning, you know, well, it's easy to master Reg if you, if you, if, you know, if you're, if you mastered Meg, I said, I better concentrate on mastering Meg first, you know, before I, but, you know, is it designed for us to be able to, because I've, ne- you know, I think I've played World War Two once or twice against Mad Dog Madigan. And he, you know, he thought it was payback for all the pain I'd given him in other systems. And I've never played World War II since. So, Will I find the World War II variant um, easy to pick up?
3: Um, yes, I think you will. I mean, the the, the concept I've had with this, I and mean, I can speak to it personally, is I, I actually like all the different periods. Okay, I love my ancient, um, that's probably been the dominant period of time, but I've always loved Napoleonic history. I've always loved World War II. But I, I can't keep lots of rule sets. In, I can't do it. I, I can do two. That's, a, that's about it. The third... I can't do it because I and, and I I can't do any of them well after the muddle. Uh, but what's nice about this as a, as a system is um switching between the World War II and the ancient probably a third as difficult as it would be because you've got the common core. So you already you already know you're gonna find something where there's gonna be activation to be a colour system with with actions and movements that's gonna be in there and the coloured dice are to resolve things. So it's a lot easier to switch. So the answer is yes. You'll find it pick up compared to pick up another set, and you'll probably find you can keep three in your head reasonably well. It's just as simple as that, really. This is radio, by the way. And that's sort so of the, the ambition. The ambition is relatively between periods, use all your stuff. Um, I
0: don't know. I don't know what the technical term is, but will they always be you go, I go, you go, I go, rather than you go for half an hour and I'll go to the loo? Or... Always,
3: always. I mean, that's a real fundamental to me. That, um, to come back to it. Let me tell you the story of that because I think it's the concept of it's quite interesting. When when I started off writing rule sets, when we were playing for fun, so we didn't need a rule book to, to do things, we started off playing true simultaneous move. We started to look everything's really going on simultaneously. It's so all this you know pausing and watching the enemy never really happened in practice. And we tried all sorts of things: writing lips down for the right hand side of the table, declaring them together, or just trusting each other and simultaneously saying I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Um, and I always thought actually that's what real warfare is is more like. So. If I look at the you move everything and I sit there and I move everything and you sit, that's quite a long way from that simultaneous. So the original origin of this interlaced turn where you activate and you share it was to get closer to the simultaneous movement idea with a practical way of doing it. So it's always going to stay in my rules because it's a founding principle, really, of the whole thing is to use that to get closer. And then all that, all that I'm doing is using the right mechanisms to make it feel right for for a a period so for ancients obviously as you will find playing the games is people think oh that means i move a unit you move you no it's not like that you're going to move a giant battle line of troops because that's how i've structured it for, for ancient so the game feels like moving giant blocks early and then slowly breaking up into smaller blocks and eventually moving individual bases once you're in combat with the micro well that's yeah that's, yeah. To me, that's like reality you know it starts off big stuff it breaks up it gets confusing it gets micro this is what a battle is like from all my reading of battles. So it'll always stay. So the the shared turn is a is a founding proof, if you like, of all Correct. the rules because it gets as close as you can to simultaneous movement in a practical.
0: So so very specifically, I, I think there's you know a lot. This is a Meg podcast, but you know we want to talk about other things, and people are excited about those. So many um, many Meg players are likely to want to make the change to some Reg. Because it is a continuation, isn't it? I mean, there's a community of Meg players who want to play Reg as well, as well in addition to, right? So I'm kind of one of those people, but I'm, you know, holding back. How difficult will it be for me to uh, to learn Reg? Uh,
3: I think you'd I think you'd be able to play okay in your second game. There's enough similarity. I but quite like... like to play
0: Meg okay at the moment, but uh... well,
3: I, uh, but like Meg, yeah. There's has been able to play it and been able to play it well. So, so you know, the nice thing about Meg that everybody said is it doesn't take long to get over the mechanics and start having fun. Yeah, but it takes that's a hell of a long time to get used to your army and play it really well against all opponents. That that's a whole different game, and that that's to me what we want it to be like. You know, because then it appeals to. The person who wants to play lightheartedly and it appeals to the person who says i'm determined to play this army for a year and perfect it and become the world's best um skirmishing horse archer player mentally guy Chris. yeah yeah, so, yeah the horsemeister
0: well the horse-meister. I, I, I played 40k for so long i'm taking an army to since this weekend and it, they, i call them the grey knights they, they it's the grey knights equivalent of uh in, in in meg so okay so so final question on that theme is the publishing schedule so not beta testing, not alpha testing, not gamma testing. When are What's the publishing schedule going forward now for the new variants when we can actually get something in our hands, which is almost stable? You know, because obviously the first version, you would probably be similar to the first version of Meg. So what are, what's the schedule?
3: The, uh, the latest, I mean, as you can imagine, they were all thrown a bit up in the air with me being plus COVID. But the. Uh, we don't want uh,
0: excuses. We don't want excuses. We want. No, facts. no, no
3: that's, the, that's, that's it for the excuse, just that okay. quick sentence. But the uh, um, Divisions of Steel, uh, the target now is to. So that's the me, World
0: War II, yeah?
3: World War II main battle set um, to be out at Salute. So Which is one, November 1450. November of this year. That's it. So uh, okay. to be out and for sale, you know, pre-order, pre-orders already sent out and stock sitting there at the PSC store at, uh, uh, at salute to buy off the shelf so that'll be the world war Two, so including the range of 10 mil vehicles as well that are coming with Brilliant. Little, really okay nice.
0: so that's that's uh divisions of steel and, uh, and am i saying it right reg or reg or what reg.
3: i don't know uh, uh, um, i think uh, i think reg is is what people generally settled on reg. so when, what about reg when, when do you when are you seeing that so reg, alistair's using the lgt as his final test tournament so uh, that's september Yep. Uh, and once three months after that to final it, give it to around Christmas. Right. For me to go final run through and check and spot any further tweaks, which pointed to then going to so probably Easter. Yeah. Easter for yep. that. Brilliant. Okay. That's that's that theme kind of dealt with. So yeah. um and probably just to just add the last one, probably the of the big sets, Gloire de Guerre, Napoleonic, it awesome Monkey Seven Year set, probably around will probably Yeah,
0: up, you, you those are them. just words. Those are just words to me. Sure. The, well, uh, the 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 next two with a with a with some you know we, we can see we can see them coming down the line
3: I can so go to that, because i just do to- I know some people's concerns will be as you loyalty of the rule set that dilute what's going on in the rule set and I think we have to look past that because there's a big enough community out there'd be a lot of to have a lot of players for all this there's not a small number of people and actually I think we'll gain ancient players but the world war because there's a massive world war and once people see the world War make plays we can get their meg so I don't think it will affect the numbers it might mean a few different people playing it when well, the meg players have opted in a world war instead but I think they will bring in gradually but it, even now it gives us a driving to make yeah them. I
0: think to a certain degree i think that's been asked and answered you know you, you've got your target you've got a plan to get there you've been realistic about that target in terms of player base um there are you know massive communities out there still to be tapped into and you know covid of course stopped a lot of that yeah. so we I
3: mean, have um, really not seen it the uh, plastic soldier company's main Facebook is nearly all work. well
0: actually that's a good segue huh, it's as if we meant so here's a segue into Uh, And this will be, considering, you know, what a snob I am about figures, listen to this noise. What do you think that is?
3: Is that you shaking a box of Meg figures from plastic? It
0: is. I bought late Imperial Romans.
3: There you go. Because I want to add them to um,
0: some armies, because this new fantasy army that... uh, that uh, Nick has built about Romans wandering around Gaul in about, you know, 500, 600 uh, CE. I want to build that army. Um, So, and and today, today I ordered another starter set of plastic figures. So I ordered the Imperial Romans because I'm not that massively into Romans, but, you know, they're good to have in the collection. So I'm going to be painting. So I now have, instead of having a metal mountain, which I got rid of... (laughs) had a fire a sale and I have a plastic mountain. So, you know, the mountains still exist, but there was some, there was, there was a lot of enthusiasm from, you know, and this goes from both the beginners. So, so there was, there was a great question from um, one of uh, your big fans who's a, a beginner in this uh, on this journey. And they said, um, they're painting a neo Assyrian army now. What, and they want plastic, I believe. Is and actually, can it be? Can it be plastic if it's Neo Assyrian? I don't know. Probably not. But anyway, what armies would you recommend to people who are getting addicted but are still at the beginner start of the journey for them? So there you go. There's a beginner's question, which I think is very important.
3: Mm, I think um, I think when you're starting out, the trick is to find something that's not too difficult to put together. But I would always caveat that with. The armies are all so well balanced as again, the points have been nicely refined over time. My first advice to everybody is pick what army gets you excited from a history or an enthusiasm point of view first, because there's a good way of playing and it'll and it'll come out fine. So if you like Romans because you like Roman history, pick a Roman army and start with that. Um, the easiest armies to play play of the box sets but the most limited to play, but the simplest to play are going to be the big tribal army because you've less need to make use of stickator moves. The, they rely on their bulk and their forward momentum. So you get your deployment right and you play it sensibly. You can't go very far wrong. So starting with a, a Gallic or a Gothic, not too difficult to play. They're great places to start. Um, the Romans are great places to start because they're very solid armies. You can't do a lot yeah, yeah. wrong with them and they They're very agile, so you can get yourself out of trouble quite easily compared to other armies. So the downside of the goals of the Goths, is you screw up your deployment and you screw up the basic master plan you've come up with. It's not easy to change and do anything about it. Cool. Um, So I I suggest those. Stay Stay away from the big shooty cavalry armies until you've got used to the game a bit, because they're the trickiest to play deliberately in the game.
0: And stay away from tugs of four Byzantine cavalry because you, you, when it goes down, it goes down very quick.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fours of cavalry. You need to get to a bit more maestro standard before you start having too many. Yeah. As a beginner, stick to your sixes. Stick to sixes to eights only eights, and it gives you something solid. Until it'll cover up some mistakes. If once you once you get very good at the game, if you do get very good at the game, then actually playing with lots of small ones, small tugs is quite fun because you can actually with a great deal of mobility. It's fragile. So you can't afford to be using that kind of army. Big mistakes and have a whole punched because the cab test can spread like wildfire, and the whole army can fall apart quite rapidly. Yes, yes. So yeah. So stick away from that.
0: Cool. Okay. So so almost part of the same question because I, I think you know a great place to start for beginners is using the plastic figures. You know the the you know I, I, every time um, one of your distributors has a sale, I get an email and I buy something. So you know. I'm I'm looking uh and, and I think that's a great place for begin, you know, buy the plastic figures, you know, and you gotta and I agree with you about the history, you've got to love it because you're gonna paint the things you yeah. need to love what you're doing. Um, but there is a lot of excitement um in the community amongst you know, real veterans, um, about uh the licensing deals that you've done to um create figures in the resin plastic, plastic 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 uh in this new um uh, material uh of old molds from fantastic figure manufacturers who you know or just making them more accessible things like zeison and stuff like that i mean maybe zeison fits in both those categories i don't know yeah. but um so um you know what what's on the, what's on the hor- how is that going and and what's on the horizon you know is it because if it's a success you'll do more yeah it's a rule of business isn't it at the end of the day psc is a business so has it been successful bringing those uh, you know that ip
3: overall overall it has it's um i mean it's one of those where it's a new technology so it's taking a while to master it a way to get quality and efficiency um but we expected that because it is brand new it's a brand new tech um but yeah it's working, and they're getting better and better at it. Uh, getting better and better at getting maximum yields and low levels of flash. Yeah. So the figures are starting to look really beautiful. So yeah, it is. Um, and the uh, the next ones—they've just brought out the 100 Years of War French box set recently. The next one coming out, Al Zeist, are looking really lovely. I've seen the first product of those.
0: I think I saw some photos, and and you know they mm. look
3: great. Right. And the, and because super glue works so amazingly on the plastic actually we're less fearful of doing some separate bits so the shields can be separate and we put metals so they they actually will come out really long lasting so they're doing those we'll see how those come out then there's the persians after that being done all in the zeister and then they're going to do the Han Chinese. that's the next schedule so, probably one every couple of months
0: Who, where, which manufacturer is the byzantine mold are the better byzantine
3: from? Uh, byzantines will be some of my lurkier ones they'll probably be the lurkier right. these two zeister ones and then we'll probably go back to the corvus belly and do a few more of the things they've got the spanish or the spanish so um, um, there's, there's there's still plenty to go at in terms of doing them and they're getting used to what sort of figures work best with the resin sort of things so, you know, there'll, there'll be there'll be a bit more to come uh, and on the on the lurkier side well, i've got a few interesting things going on there i've got a i've got a mongol army and Turkmen sculpt and um I don't really care whether it makes any money or not, but I've got a samurai army done dungeon. It feels like I, I I have to get that the one done in life. You know, I can't I can't reach twenty five years time lying there thinking it's going to have to be. I'll tell you,
0: I have to. I love telling stories that make me look like an idiot, but I actually have a samurai army, and um, inspired by uh, Will Denham, who did his in Ten Millimeter. Yes, um, oh, lovely. So I, no, 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 no. That's not that. That, that would be easy. Ray has a ten millimeter samurai arm. So I go online. I order this. uh I order this uh, army, and I have it sent straight to Zach in Spain to do the painting for me because I, you know I combine do my own painting and Zach paint. So Zach gets the figures, and he rings me up, and he said. You know these figures are bigger than even Zeiston figures. I'm like, what? He said you've ordered 20 millimeter. I mean, they weren't sold as 20, but these <laughs> figures are 20 millimeter big. So well, basically, I'm going to have a civil war with Will, and my boys are going to be twice the size of his yeah. army. But uh, oh well, you live and learn. You live nice. and learn. Look
3: at that. There we go.
0: So, um, so okay. So, so you've um, you, you've obviously done uh, a deal with the 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 zeiston or the people who have you know now own the zeiston molds the the corvus belly you know a a company that again you know i don't think they were producing figures you've got those molds you know I'm, i'm interested actually and i think the people who who are asking these types of questions are also interested on what reaction you get from you know manufacturers i suppose it's different if people are you know if you went to one of the Manufacturers who is manufacturing a lot at the moment. Yeah. I mean, you know, curasan in in uh, in the US. If, if you went, if you went to John and said, John, you know, your figures are beautiful. Can we do them in in plastic? What kind of reaction do you get?
3: Uh, I don't. I I can't imagine he wants to do that. You know, he's got a good business going with the metal. Will be fearful of the plastic. Cannibalize the metal. so.
0: But that's an interesting question. Would they? Yeah.
3: Yeah, well, I, I'm not sure they do that much actually. You know, I, my Lurkio metals haven't seen much of a drop. They've people actually ended up buying figures to supplement the yeah, the plastic. So, I mean, is a small business. I don't they died off because, So, I don't, I don't know, but I think that's the fear. Be yeah. no worry. So obviously, we've done better going to a Corvus Belly, an and is yeah. great figure so, um, and those Iron Man guys. And and, and I, know, I know there are a few more conversations going on with the manufacturers will see what picks up over time and, and is this
0: something i mean the the psc guys are have been in the figure production business for a long time is this something that they're running with more now than you having to do all oh that? yeah
3: they're they're, they're running, you know, they, brilliant. They, they, brilliant. They're,
0: so there are there are conversations going on where we might there see are
3: conversations can't promise anything will come from them but even if it doesn't there's there's plenty more ranges already got so we've probably got a, at least a year and a half backlog in the, the in Dosh, uh, Belli. but if people are out there and and uh and he was listing out there and has a figure range. It's interesting. I think listing thing to do to license it to allow you to drop me an email, drop me yeah. a message and we'll connect you up and see what works. It's uh it is a lovely manufacturing technology, and the figures are coming. The materials weirdly good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it weirdly, you know. I, I'm looking
0: I, forward to my my first. Experience. I, I I was shaking the boxes, but I haven't opened the boxes yet. Um, but I'm looking forward to my my first painting experience. Well,
3: um, you, if you have bent any spears doing that, because somebody asked me. I might as well share here. These have got great mold, men, So I had. Right spears from shipping and a few tanks with bank barrels put them in a bowl and pour boiling water and watch them
0: <laughs> cool right now I, i've got to dive down into the detail now simon i'm sorry oh, okay there were there were a few things so um i, I feel like um i feel like doing prime minister's questions time and you know betty from uh from birmingham uh would well, like to ask you a question No, so so how, how about this is it so and really let's think about how this fits in with your vision of the rules. but So here's one. Why can't you use fleet of foot when you are falling back?
3: Fleet of foot when you're falling back.
0: (laughs) And listeners, he does not know any of the questions before the interview.
3: No, I don't. I don't know that. That is really delving into a detail, isn't it? Uh, well, it, it just it just felt like it was a more sensible thing to be using for forward movement. You're lightly armoured and you're going to run. Um, <laughs>
2: it's
3: because you're running. You're yeah. running,
0: skipping over the rocks. But when yeah. you're falling back, it's a bit of a. I mean,
3: my vision, my vision of fleet of foot was was from my memory of old samurai films, where you watch the very lightly armoured Ashigaru jogging behind the cavalry. Yeah. So, that, so I. I I don't know, maybe if I play it on Rewind and have a lucky time Rewind, it will look okay. And I'll think, maybe they could do it going backwards, but I, it feels more like a forward thing to me. That's, that's basically where that
0: goes. So I, the person who asked that question, they are going to be so happy that actually you are a little bit stumped by that. he's they're, they're going to make their year. Um, so, okay. Now here's one that I actually, I didn't, I'm didn't. i not clever enough to think of the question, but when, I, when, I, when the person asked it, I was like, oh yeah, that is a bit weird. So... When you shoot and charge, you have to be in shooting range to do shoot and charge. So if you're cavalry and you're five BW away, you're yeah. not going to be shooting and charging. right? Yeah. However, when you are charging someone who is going to shoot you, you shoot as if at one BW. So I guess conceptually, why aren't the cavalry doing the shoot and charge waiting and shooting right at the last minute? So you, you, I bet you've got a good answer for
3: well, the one BW, the one BW is for design for.
0: No, no, and yes, we're saying, but it yeah. seems different to your charging. Why? Why do you have to be in bow range uh, when you're actually going to? You may well make contact with the enemy.
3: Yeah, that's. Uh- the the answer to that one is a very practical one when you when in developing the rules i'm always thinking about two things thinking about how to make it feel historical and realistic and how to design it as a game is the right type of challenge so it's a game it's not reality so you've got these two things so fundamentally the reason for that for for um shoot and charge make it you have to have
0: it's because skirmishers would die Every, okay. the whole time basically. No,
3: it's a uh, it's a uh, so, some of these extra talents that I've given to to make them rules have to give a challenge otherwise they okay. All right. So, so that
0: I, to me that's what I'm going to let you off. i because the next question is much more important. I'm going to let you off. But that is the rules writers get out answer 101, isn't it? What it you did just say it was prime minister's question <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So this this is a question from me and I've thought long and hard of this and thought about the technical. I've got to say green to yellow. That jump, it sucks. It's pants. Why is yellow so rubbish compared to green? You go from white to green, you get a skull. Yeah. You go from green to yellow, you get an extra wound. You go from yellow to red, you get an extra skull. Yellow is pants. What's going on?
3: Yeah, well, it's not pants, It's a, it, but it's not as big a leap as red, as you say. I mean, it's deliberate because I, when I it, it took me a long time to get the stretch of the five colours, get them right. So I'm not trying to
0: destroy your whole CCC no, no, system, no, no, by the it's, way. But it's, it's
3: <laughs> deliberate as I as I go through getting the getting the levels of advantage. If you map all the advantages, I said to me, well, actually, at the plus three level, because every time I look at those, those look like the big over. And and at the the. The plus plus one i want to drop but i didn't want to yellow the two advantage i want i want the curve to be that it kicks high really quite deliberate so it is better you know you uh you, but you you've already gained the extra wound capabilities yeah better. but it's deli- mm. it's deliberately how i wanted the curve to go the plus the, the key to the game is to have an ad- having a bit better advantage is a bit better having a big advantage in okay, yeah. case okay. the design has so so, so your biggest and most important thing is to hunt for one-ups because they are the real kicker and two-up is a bit better than a one-up.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to go with any double entendres. You know, we don't do that on the podcast from what you've just said. But so, <laughs> um, OK, so... Um, yeah, I, I, I was only joking with you anyway, but it does, it, it, I mean, I roll blanks anyway, so it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what dice are rolling.
3: I think there so, is a bizarre mystical thing going on from some Meg got up there, that, and it happens to me too, I seem to do better with the green dice than yellow ones, and oh, I don't that, know quite why that feels that, like that. Isn't way.
0: that the truth? Isn't that, you know,
3: if I, had one me-
0: tip, if I had one tip to any new player, why would I be giving people tips, but... Don't go in on green, green unless you have to. But green, white, or every all day, every day. That's what you're looking for. That's what you're looking for. Okay, so um, I, I've kind of reached the end of my um, attention span because you know I'm, I'm a I'm a bit of a goldfish.
3: That's boring. Yeah.
0: So um, no, no. So no. In seriously, seriously, uh, it's been real fun having you uh, on. But what what give it give us the give us the message to remember. This is a Meg podcast. People are excited about um, the other variants, a bit like, a bit like the, uh, well, no, we're not excited about the COVID variants, are we? But, um, you know, so really, um, I think the MEG, what's your message to the MEG community now uh, going forward?
2: Oh, well, I, I
3: think uh, right now, forget the other variants for the time being, you'll, you'll see those when they come out and I'm sure they'll be fun for those periods. Right now, what we need to do is keep spreading the purple mantra, keep spreading the good news and just gather, gather players and um, get as many new players into the ancient wargaming hobby as possible through the accessibility of Pacto and the, and the easy figures. It's our job, as a, all as ambassadors, to go out and gather more players into the, into the hobby. I mean, my ambition for this was not to get everybody who plays all the other rule systems we know well out there over. I mean, that's happening to a fair degree. It was actually to expand the ancient wargaming hobby in the first place and draw a load of players in. So everybody just, if you like the game, keep telling everyone, keep publishing stuff that say so. And when we get to events, tell them in person and give them little demos and point them at the, the new website as of June, which will have a whole series of new videos and, and let's just, let's just push that journey of getting getting loads and loads of players of make all around the world and getting some great events and gatherings. And, and, and as a specific, everybody out there can make it sign up to the LGT. It's going to be fantastic. Um, travel looks like it's, it's going to be okay. So, so I should be there. We've got the Maximus event for the world championship there. If you, if you don't want to play something so serious because you knew there's a pacto gathering there, bring a pacto army along, and I'm going to run that and help people learn to play and advise. And frankly, if you've got an army and you haven't even played, sign up and come along, we'll teach you how to play on the day. It's no problem. You know, it's an easy game to pick up on on the day. So so really, that's it. Just keep spreading the purple good news uh, and let's get more and more people interested in playing it. And um, just keep reminding them that it seems to give great historical film results and it's great fun. And that that seems to be the feedback I get all the time from everybody. couldn't be happier because that basically ticks the two boxes in terms of objectives and thank you everybody for the for the great feedback especially through the tough time I've had the last four months it's been heartwarming and a real help to get through a, um, a health struggle there's not been to all of you support and the kindness Well,
0: I, I, I can't really end on anything I can't top that that's fantastic Simon but I have one final question for you have you dry cleaned the purple suit
3: Yes. It's been dry cleaned. It's, uh, and, uh, it's actually sitting in Cheltenham at a friend's.
0: And will you be wearing it at the LGT? I,
3: I intend to be wearing it. At the LGT. Absolutely. Well, I will
0: see you there and it'd be great to see as many people at the LGT uh, gathering, uh, for whatever system you want to play. It'd be fantastic. So, uh, thank you, Simon. Thank you for coming on the the podcast.
3: Pleasure. Keep up all the great work on the podcast. I, I love listening to them too. So, uh, I'll keep sharing them with everybody and let's see if we can build a bigger and bigger audience for it. It's all good stuff. Great. Brilliant.
2: For Thanks, buddy. See you soon.